Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Jeff Sire, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello. And Julie Keel. That was frozen, Mike McPeak. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're all in our own places experiencing the first real taste of uh, winter so far, so we were just on pre-show there. We were all just commiserating with how our motorcycles are put away, and we're all bummed out. Snowblowers have been fired up, and yeah, uh, space heaters are getting, you know, like... Workout. Uh, we're, yeah. we're whining. Is it over yet? Yeah, we are, and it's what uh, November sixteenth. Oh, good okay. lord! So we can heat things up with the Rocketeer. So, we like that segue. Right? Nice. Sure. That was yeah. nice. One hundred nine episodes to come up with a segue like that. <laughs> we'll get at this down eventually, yeah. right? So, I'll read the synopsis from The Rocketeer. It's from IMDb, and a young pilot stumbles into onto a prototype jetpack that allows him to become a high-flying masked hero. Another one so, of those short <laughs> synopsis, but you know, yeah. that's just about it, yeah. And it sums it up, but doesn't really tell you much of anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this is going to be another one we'll probably discuss a lot of stuff other than tech, because other than the actual rocket pack... There isn't much tech. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for starters, it's set back almost, yeah. what, 80 years now? It's almost 80 years. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. The yeah. The 30s is 80 19, years ago. I think God. it's 1938, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so getting close to that. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a steampunk thing, and steampunk falls under a sci-fi fantasy genre. But, uh, yeah, no, Rocket and a Zeppelin, and that's about it. But I was thinking about that when we were watching. Like this was steampunk before steampunk was a. It really was. was. This thing out in 1991. I did not realize it was that old. Yeah, but you can also see like it's heavily influenced by that Art Deco style. Like you can just see that right from the poster. That whole kind of all the lines and curves and everything. Yep. And uh, particularly the helmet more than anything, but uh, also the the jetpack itself, and certainly in the advertising for it, it was real Art Deco. Yeah, and and they played the Art Deco 30s theme to the hilt. I mean, the clamshell in the South Sea. Yeah, yeah, whatever. yeah. I mean, that's big band totally to the hilt. I mean, it's uh, it's almost like if you need a stereotype of Art Deco, this movie is it. Yeah. Gangsters, clamshell, mermaids, um, the, the typefaces that are used, the flying in the nationals, whatever that is. So, you know, Nazi, even the Nazi uh, propaganda video that they yeah. showed, I mean, that was totally era authentic, you know. Oh, I, when I was watching it, I had two questions. Again, neither of which have to do with anything to do with tech. But before I forget them, I wanted to ask you guys that Zeppelin, was that. Did they say a name? That wasn't the Hindenburg, right? Because the Hindenburg crashed no. in the no. before. No, they did not say a name that I heard, at least. And they did make reference to the Hindenburg as far as right. it being filled with helium, and you know. Yeah. Oh no, they said that they said this thing was filled with or, still filled with hydrogen. Sorry, hydrogen, yes. not helium. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. The stuff that goes boom. The stuff that goes boom. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which that wasn't right because like after the Hindenburg that ended they were done zeppelin yeah travel there but, wasn't i don't but think there the, was didn't anything. the germans do zeppelins the germans had a fleet of zeppelins but uh, with the hindenburg explosion nobody would fly in them anymore so that uh, the hindenburg explosion essentially ended the age of the zeppelin right except yeah. for like the goodyear blimp and uh, but the, the, those are not hydrogen right yeah uh, those are uh, helium and they're uh, they're technically not zeppelins because zeppelins have a rigid frame. Ah, they're dirigibles. Yes, correct. Aha. 
Yeah. Uh, the other question I had, because this film uh, features one of the characters is Howard Hughes. Yes. Were there any jokes? Because I, I watched for them, but I, like I wasn't, you know, I was making lunch while I was doing it. So I wasn't paying strict attention for the whole thing. But uh, was there any jokes about him being a germaphobe or any of the Howard Hughes type jokes? There wasn't that I saw. Okay. I, the, I wondered if I'd missed them. I didn't see any. Yeah, so. nope. I didn't see any either. I just got the you know eccentric um, yeah. pilot right yeah. off of him. Like I, I, I don't know with with Howard Hughes being such a part of you know kind of like the popular cultural background. I don't know how you can have him as a character where you don't have him like clipping his nails in one okay, part or, let's or cleaning his. Uh, this is Disney film. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. But still, they could have done something. Well, every time you like say that, that right? I don't know if anybody remembers. What was it called? Creep Show? Um, there was this show, movie, TV thing. I don't remember. I remember watching it like babysitting or something eons ago. Um, but it was like different vignettes, and one of the vignettes, it was like the, the 10 o'clock on a Saturday night horror show thing. And one of the vignettes was basically Howard Hughes, a big germaphobe that basically got eaten by cockroaches. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, I think you're right. I think that was Creepshow. Yeah. It was based on, uh, I think it was based on Stephen King's short stories. I think that's it. Yep, I think yeah. that's it. I mean, so, yeah, that would not, I mean, that story was great for that audience and that, you know, market. This is Disney, (laughs) and so bringing out that kind of, you know, um, personality quirk, just, it wouldn't have served the story at all either. But, but, but my point is, why do you, why do you even call that character Howard Hughes if you're not going to, going to make those jokes? I suppose, and I suppose, yeah, Yeah. I suppose it could have just been some rich guy. Yeah. I think but, but everybody would have made the leap anyway. I mean, half-educated people would have made the leap between some rich guy in the 30s that's interested yeah. in flight. You know, it would have been, oh, that was Howard Hughes. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was one Howard Hughes joke in there, and I caught it uh, yeah. when they were doing it. And uh, in the trivia, they pointed it out. In the end, where he, uh, towards the end of the movie, where he glides down on that uh, model oh, of the airplane. Yeah. It does right. fly. It does fly the the spruce goose uh, because you know it, I think that's the uh, the uh, that airplane flew only once but he wasn't sure because a lot of people are saying it was so big it would never fly uh, and so that was the one joke that they threw in there for Howard Hughes uh, benefit yeah but the the airplane with the propeller and then the the helicopter thing no no no, no. which which the mo- when, yeah. The model airplane that he uh, jumps up on when he's getting away from uh, uh, the Nazis in uh, or when he's getting away from Howard Hughes to go rescue uh, his uh, girlfriend, uh, okay. he jumps up and grabs the whole. Yeah, the big white one. He grabs on it and it floats up. Uh, it he it starts to glide down, then the wires let loose, and then he kind of flies it out of the building to get away from him. And he kind of turns and looks at the plane and goes, "It does fly." Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was actually kind of a nice little inside joke. Yeah. Yeah, tech-wise, boy, we can yeah. talk about old tech in this one. You know, telephones <laughs> and machine guns and cars. And, yeah. But uh, oh, oh, oh yeah, and typical G-men here. I mean, if it moves, shoot it. Uh, right. Oh God, yeah. wasn't that something? <laughs> they riddled a house full of bullets and uh, yeah, cars. The old Thompson yeah. machine gun firing away. The, okay, let's let's one piece of technology that was briefly <laughs> I, mentioned. I, I'll, I'll take the Mounties. There you go. Yeah, I don't think they just shoot people indiscriminately. Right. 
the FBI. Uh, anyway, how about the vacuum cleaner substituting for a, a rocket pack? Honestly, I've got a vacuum cleaner around here that's just about that generation, and you bet it could. It, it well, really does. That's kind of like movie props, right? Like when you, if you ever see any of the, the behind-the-scenes sh- uh, shows, like I remember for the movie Alien, like they used uh, egg cartons and all like oh, just all of this other stuff that is just repurposed because it sort of looks spacey or whatever, right? That's right. kind of the same thing. Well, that's what Star Trek props all were. You yeah, know, yeah, salt exactly. pepper shakers and yeah. yeah, tape recorders. But it wasn't. Um, Style was kind of uh, – they were fascinated for a while by the idea of rockets and flight and all that kind of stuff because it wasn't a lot of cars. You know, had fins on them to kind of look like rockets, and Oldsmobile had a rocket 88. And- well, that goes back to the Art Deco kind of styling, sure. right? So right. That, that's all kind of – in but, that same era. But that's kind of a, a, a nod to sci-fi a little bit, because sci-fi of the 30s compared with sci-fi of like the 50s or sci-fi of today, you know, the sci-fi back then were things like the Rocketeer, um, where it was usually some bit of technology. It wasn't usually, you know, the, the magic, something like, oh, what did we see with the stones or whatever, um, you know, it, it, or... We've been doing some of the uh, comic book things too, you know, like Tor and Captain America and those types of things. It's not magic like that. There, there's the sci-fi of the '30s was based on science. But you got to remember, good lord, science in the '30s. I mean, seriously, it was 80 years ago. We had telephones, yeah, sort of. Um, yeah. We had. You know what's funny with telephones when you think about it is they haven't really um, improved the transmission side of it. Telephones like a landline telephone wouldn't sound much better today than it did back then. Oh, no. Yeah. Like they were never designed for, like your, you know, a cell phone or whatever sounds way better than a landline telephone. Or as the, sorry, a, 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 like a Skype call on a cell phone sounds way better than a landline phone. Well, some of those uh, landline phones are probably still using wires from the 30s yet. Uh, well, it's them. it's not the wires. That the, the whole transmission thing, they only transmit up to, like, I think it's 15 kilohertz or something like that. They don't transmit on a very high frequency, so you don't have any harmonics. So you, you don't have a full fullness of sound. Yeah, right? and it, part of that is, um, you know, kind of the weakest link phenomenon too yeah exactly yeah so while we might have capabilities of doing better of that yeah. in some parts of the system you know like say that weakest link if it goes through there yeah. it all comes crashing down but the whole system is based on this you know transmission of this kind of uh the I amount mean, the in, yeah the amount of information you're transmitting is the same uh, is what the whole system is based on and that sound quality is maxed out and is it can't get any better unless you redid the whole way the phone system works. Right. Yeah. It's basically uh, a standard that was set um, a yeah. hundred years ago or whatever, and, and that's what it is. Yeah. Well, it's like on the you know when you listen to the morning stream, like when Daryl calls in, you know when you can totally tell as soon as he's on a phone, as opposed to the Skype call, right? True. True. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Interesting. And and in the movie, of course, they were depicted as the you know crank phones almost. Um, yeah, so. yeah, with the uh, the little the little speaking horn and right. the little I don't even know what you would call those things. The thing you hold your ear, mouth like it was. Yeah, it wasn't like the one piece kind of uh, handset yeah. that we know. 
Yeah. And, of course, they also depicted technology back in the 30s of people gathered around a radio. Yeah. And that was, that's a, um, you know, that was a thing back then, which is odd to me because, like, I don't even listen to radio anymore. And if I do, it's just on. I don't sit around it and, you know, crane my neck to try and hear it better. It's just on. Um, so that that's a bit of history that, you know, I don't know, a certain point in time and probably never to be repeated. Well, I mean, yeah, the radio is a communal thing because, uh, yeah, because people would gather around. Yeah, before TV, I mean, you had the theater of the mind where they'd have radio dramas. And, um, and you know, that was – and before everybody had – you know, was, became so busy and had so many places to go, that was something that the family could do. They could gather around, and that would be their social time or whatever. Yeah. The, speaking of radios, too, they did show the one that was essentially a shortwave radio, uh, apparently, from what you could see, of uh, that connected to the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> so there's one technology that isn't going anywhere. Heck, even in Star Wars itself, they show radios. Yeah, and there was one piece that never made it into the movie, uh, but looking through the trivia, there was, uh, before he sent his message, he used an actual Enigma machine uh, to code his message before he sent it off, but they cut the scene because of time. Really? That yeah. would have been interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, there's some that movie about the Enigma machine that's uh, opening, I think it opens this week, with the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch about, oh. about Alan Turing. Yep, yep. Yeah. That's right. So, I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah. That's not even sci-fi, and uh, that's almost something that we could talk about on the show. Probably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. without a doubt. The, um, oh, what else? There was something else I was going to mention in Rocketeer. Uh, oh, the, the the rocket pack itself. Yeah. They talked a little bit about the the technology of that, uh, at the, especially at the very end, like the final scene, the, the one guy, and I don't remember his name now, was talking about, yeah, double-walled construction, and we could do something with the air-to-fuel mixture, and blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and they didn't spend a lot of time talking about the actual no. science or technology of the rocket, which they didn't have to for the purposes of the movie. It was interesting how they treated it, though, when they ran across it. You know, they're obviously pilots that, that were aware of aerodynamics and science and all of those kind of things, um, and they were tinkerers, can we call them that? Yeah. Um, so to have it fall into their hands was probably as, the, as good a place as they could land. But the they... Um, you know when it when it broke and they fixed it with bubble gum. <laughs> oh my God, my dad would do uh, that all the time. Anyway, um, yeah. Hey, let's not forget some tech is timeless. Bubble gum and bailing wire. You bet. Duct yeah. tape will rule the world. I swear. But it's it's interesting that that the technology was simple enough for you know basically a guy to to look at it and and blueprint it out and begin to make modifications and improvements to it. Um, you know that apparently worked well and i also thought it was kind of interesting that uh, uh you know we were talking about the whole art deco thing and finn finns have a place in art deco well when they um put that fin on the helmet that became a stabilizer and that uh, uh acted as a rudder to help uh steady him and i thought that was an interesting way to go about it 
Yeah, it was at least a good explanation for sure. why the helmet looked the way it did. So right, and of course he also flew the rocket without a helmet on occasion too. So you know, yes, um, yeah, wasn't totally <laughs> required. Well, but also this this movie is one of the ones that you know, like I don't get upset the way I do with some things because th- this movie is based on like the whole pulp kind of uh, yeah. you know movie. Like they're not giving you a rigid framework for like okay this is you know if they'd gone into a whole lot of detail of trying to explain the way the rocket works and trying to make it like a really real world explanation then I would hold them to a kind of a higher expectations on stuff like that but they weren't doing that this was really just kind of a swashbuckling type movie and uh, that's that's cool good word <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the uh, the um I was looking at the genres that it fell under, you know, and it did fall under sci-fi, at least according to Netflix, it fell under sci-fi fantasy, but it also fell under, like, um, action adventure, action adventure, and was it romance, even? Um, it was like, and kids, it definitely fell under kids, so, you know, it was like, yeah, this is kind of your all-purpose general show, It's a fam- for everybody. Family movie, everybody can get something out of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Which is what Disney's great at. Now, t- somebody tell me about the, the bad guy, the big monster giant bad guy. I don't know what the deal was. Like, all I could think of is he reminded me totally of uh, the Dick Tracy uh, now, what, kind of villain. Yeah, so what's Dick Tracy's villain's name, do you know? I don't know. Like, I don't know enough of, like, it was a, not Blockhead because he, his head was just square and I think he was small. Because I I remember I waited and, and looked at the credits afterwards too, and um, it wasn't like a name, like you know, it was like Voltron or something like that, which is not obviously the right name. Yeah, I don't remember what his character's name is. I'm looking at the list here, and I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, by the way that he looked, I was looking to see uh, if it was, I think it's uh, Ted Kennedy. Uh, no, not Ted Kennedy. What was his name? The guy tiny. That played, it was Tiny. It was uh, name. The guy that played Lurch uh, on the Adams Family, but I don't think, um, now his name's escaped me. I thought it was uh, Kennedy or something. Um, tiny, Tiny. Let's see here. I'm looking at the cast of characters here, and of course I'm trying Lothar, to find some. Tiny Ron. Lothar. Okay. Is that him? Yes, Lothar. I think that's what they... Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. Yep. As Tiny Ron Taylor. Yeah, Lothar. So, given that he had a name like that, does anybody... I mean, is the Rocketeer like an well, actual comic Holy book crap, that, that guy's still alive. Like, guys that size normally don't live that long. He's huh. uh, 66. Okay. Well, then he yeah. wasn't that old when he made that movie then. Um, yeah. when I when I first saw him, you kind of get a glimpse from you know of the size or whatever. And I was waiting for Richard Keel from uh, yeah, oh. Jaws from Bond movies to to show up. I was like, no, no, that's not quite him. No, well, he says I, he's seven feet tall. Wow. Yes, yes. I was just yeah, Jaws or uh, Lurch or one of those guys. I was yep. you know expecting them, and you know wearing just some sort of a mask for some weird purpose. But right, yeah, they, yeah. they definitely did did up the makeup on him. I mean, that guy does not look like that. <laughs> Thank you. Guess what, Julie? What he's been in Star Trek? Has he really? Yes. See that guy that played. Um, 
Um, Deep Space Nine. Really? I, it looks like... Yeah. And Voyager. <clears throat> Look at that. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Trivia. Tiny Ron's character, Lothar, is made up to look like Rondo Hatton, who played similar characters in the uh, B-movies, which inspired the Rocketeer. Ron can be oh. seen out of makeup as a cameo as one of the two good old boys. He gapes at his companion and marvels at the big gopher. Now I have to go back and watch it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, re- I remember the two guys, but I just didn't remember him, so... Jeez, no, I gotta guys. go back and watch Star Trek. Yeah. Pull him out of there. So basically, his his career, his well, no, his career spans, good lord, three decades. I mean, he's, yeah. he's still doing work. He did. He just did a movie in 2014 that's in post production right now. So I mean, he, the guy's still doing doing work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then he played in one called Sasquatch Mountain. Hmm. I wonder what part he played. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you probably get typecast just a little there. Does he really play tiny in all of these things? Giant, tiny, Indian, Lothar, tall man, player. Good gosh. Well, when you find your niche, go for it. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Typecast. Of course, when you're seven feet tall, what are you supposed to do? So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, there's just, you know, tech in the show is just not, you know, the one, um, it wasn't tech. It was more society and cultural, but the, the whole air show thing, and then sitting in the bleachers like that. And right. then the guy, you know, first saying, okay, we do have an emergency, everybody clear out. And the server saying, no, it's all part of the show. It's all part of the show. You know, the whole yeah. uh, um, P.T. Barnum routine, yeah. basically. That To me, that felt like era appropriate as well. I mean, these days, no way would you, you, you attempt to pull it off. You know you're going to get sued. <laughs> but um, back then, it was like, yeah, anything for a buck. Oh, yeah, the kind of the shyster and the huckster type uh, yeah. deal. Uh, but, you know, air shows you know, were a thing once upon a time. I I don't remember if I ever went to any when I was a kid, but, you know, they were, you know, a form of entertainment. And, uh, and you know, even still, people like to watch the Blue Angels and uh, those guys perform their, uh, uh, their stunts and acrobatics. Oh, yeah. No, that's a big thing. They come to town every year. Well, almost every year. And that's a thing. <laughs> That's a fun thing too. <laughs> used to used to work at a place that had a parking lot essentially at the end of the runway, so everybody else had to pay admission to go, you know, watch the show, and I just had to go to work. So it was awesome. Well, you know, um, you know, I guess some tech that was in the movie there was that uh, plane that he starts out flying the uh, um, the GB. Uh, yeah. Racer. Uh, that's what uh, they held the world record uh, for uh, a number of years, I guess, for a uh, a small plane, and it was basically just a cockpit, wings, and a fuel tank. It looked like it was really fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, it um, two hundred and fifty-two miles per hour, which back then was a big deal. Yeah, right. So, yeah, they talked a little bit about it at the beginning. It sounded like it was on a um, a test flight or something, or maybe they had just done major modifications to it and were just you know giving it a shakedown ride or something. But um, 
they you know they're talking about it's it's not as stable as you know as it looks and there's more power to it and it you know when it tops off at I can't remember what they said like a hundred 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 twenty miles an hour something's supposed to happen and so you know the the, the and if you looked at it too well speaking of technology too if you looked at it too when the other guy goes up in the air in the plane. It's not the first one that they crashed at, you know, that gets shot up and then he crashed, but during the, the show, the air show, the old guy goes up in the plane and a rocketeer has to basically, you know, rescue him. Right. That oh, plane the, was the made... The biplane. Yeah, the plane was made of wood. I mean, I've, um, I don't right. know if, if you caught that, but the wood um, framing that, that it went around, it's like, wow, really? I think almost most of the planes back then would have been made of wood. Wood, yeah. And, and that one looked like wood and fabric. <clears throat> You know, yeah. so it was, I was like, "Wow, really? I mean, whoa." <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no, maybe, no, no, no. I don't think so. No, well, I don't think it's so. light. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that uh, that GB that's an actual an actual airplane, and uh, it has the nickname of the Widowmaker and the Flying Coffin because it's it's incredibly difficult to fly and prone to crashing. Uh, because of its speed and maneuverability, some pilots raced it uh, in spite of the danger. Uh, so that was a, and I, I guess that's why they were taking him, uh, taking it for a test run. And he's giving him all those precautions because it is um, kind of a particular airplane to to fly. Because he did say, uh, was it don't let it drop below a hundred or it'll stall out. Something like that, yeah, yeah. yeah which was incredibly well. You know, it's, it's as far as stalling goes. I guess that's not a that's that airspeed wouldn't be so unusual. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's interesting, you know, when you when you talk about sci-fi, and I remember as much as nobody likes the prequels of Star Wars, um, the challenge of doing that kind of stuff, and, and Star Trek had that too when they had to do Enterprise, where you have to go back in time a little bit to show the future, you know, um, when you, you've created a, a futuristic place, but then you also have to create it you know, um, make it make it look a, yeah. Make it look authentic so that it as it you can envision this becoming something in the future. Yeah, and and to, and to not make it you know current technology, you have to make it look like it's old technology, even though it oh. might be new technology. So that's you know like the rocket itself. The rocket itself is, is supposedly future technology. We still don't have rocket packs, okay. Not really, yep. at least. Might be a good um, thing. Yeah, given the way this thing operated. Yeah, I'm not interested. But, um, you know, again, to go back in time to, the, to, in this case, the 1930s, and create a device that doesn't exist even today, so it's still a futuristic device, but make it look old. Um, so that's a challenge. I mean, I'm wrapping your head around creating a device of the future that fits in with the past. Um huh. That's. Yep. I'm glad I don't have to sort that. Yeah. We got to make it relevant to the time period, but yeah, futuristic looking, but so that it looks futuristic to us in the future, right? And not old something or another. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that a, a 19, you know, a 55 Chevy would have looked futuristic in the 30s. Well, now it just looks like a 60 year old car, you know. Yeah. Um, a really nice 60 year old car, I might mention, but um. You know, still old technology. So, so somehow, and Art Deco was kind of known for that anyway, where it was trying to take 
uh, you know, lines and curves and create shapes of the future. So having the rocket kind of fit into that artistic um, type of, of um, setting kind of really helped, I think, that portrayal of futuristic technology as shown in the past. Right. Well, yeah, and, you know, we're dealing here with uh, an idea that man has thought about for years, centuries, generations, you know, the idea to fly, because, you know, uh, there's the story of Icarus wanting to fly and he gets too close to the sun and, and crashing. So this is something that man has been wanting to do for eons. And, you know, I think we all kind of have that secret desire. What is it they say about uh, people who dream about flying, want to be free and, um, you know, whatever? Uh, so this is you know a desire that man's had for a long time, and, and to have something that you could actually do without having to get an airplane or get a pilot license or something like that, I think it kind of is uh, tugs at our our heartstrings for you know freedom and uh, independence. Yeah, and yeah. I think that the difference between a um, plane and a rocket pack is immense. I mean, Iron Man's a big deal. I mean, basically, the Iron Man is the rocketeer for 2015 or 2014 yeah. or 2012 well. or whenever they first started showing up. So, you know, it that whole concept has not faded in appeal whatsoever. Well, I mean, to put it in terms you two can relate to, it's the difference between a car and a motorcycle. Probably. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. you probably, that's about it, too. Yeah, yeah, because you get that feeling of being in the environment, not, you know, in something uh, going through the environment, you're in the environment. You can feel it. You can feel the wind in your face. You get the you know adrenaline, the um, the emotion. You can feel the wind currents. Um, like that's I say, a great example. <laughs> well, <laughs> why did I not me. make that? Excuse reason? me, I have to go out to my motorcycle yeah, now. <laughs> I was say. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm making you guys or you guys are going the, through why is it the, the non-rider came up with that analogy because that yeah. is spot on. Well, I ride bicycles now, so there I get the go. feeling, you know, you know, because you feel, you know, as you're driving down the road, you feel it. You can feel the bump. You can, you know, you feel the wind, uh, the crosswind and everything else. And so and it's like you're more in tune with the instrument. You're part of it. And it, it feels right more personal. Yep. And the fact that you would, like, control the thing with your helmet, I can sort of relate to that. I don't actually control my motorcycle with my helmet. But I tell you, if I move my head, I know it because the wind oh, yeah. blows up against it and whatever. So, yeah. And you can totally... You can totally control your bike without even your hands, hands. right? Yeah. Like you, you ever put that, take your hands, <laughs> when there's nobody around, take your hands off and just rest your hands on the tank, and then just, you know, you can steer yourself around slow corners just with your where you position your body on the bike, right? Yeah, yeah. And even, <laughs> even to turn corners requires leaning, but not yeah. really turning. So, yeah, it's an excellent analogy there. <laughs> Points to Mike. Ooh. Cool. <laughs> So, yeah. And notice that he also rode a motorcycle in the movie, too. You yes. Know, the only guy <laughs> who's riding motorcycles is also the Rocketeer. Uh, yeah, not a lot of tech in this one. I mean, it was a good flick. It's it's The technology that's in there is awesome uh, and appropriate for the story. It doesn't stand up to a lot of scrutiny. It doesn't have to. Um, there's just, yeah. you know... It's a great story. It's it's like Trope City, though. I mean, you know, <laughs> Americans versus the Nazis, gangsters versus the feds, you know, the the Hollywood starlet falling in love with the Hollywood star who turns out to be a scoundrel and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, yeah. good, the good guy gets the girl in the end. And 
I did did like that as soon as you found out that Timothy Dalton was the bad guy, all of a sudden now instead of a British accent, he had a German accent. Yeah, that's it too. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like this whole thing is very campy, but like it's it's total schlocky goodness. Yeah, but that's what makes it fun. I mean, it's yeah, it exactly. Campy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, campy yeah. is not always bad. Campy is oh. campy because it's fun. Yeah. So. Well, and you, and you have all your stereotypes, but you know the stereotypes. You're comfortable with the movie. You know yeah. the gangsters. You know the Nazis. You know they are bad. Although you know the gangsters switch side and uh, join forces with the feds towards the well, end there. But you're talking about tropes that the. Uh, like, uh, what was that? I might be a gangster, but I'm all American. Right. That, <laughs> oh. And there was one scene where the, I, the Fed was, the gangster was standing up and the Fed was kneeling yes. down and they look at each other. It's like, eh, whatever. Shoot the Germans, you know. Okay. And I have to tell you my Canadian thing that where uh, Americanisms stand out like a sore oh, thumb. Oh, I bet they were Pretty rampant. <laughs> Where he goes up to the top and the flag, and, and it, with the flags in the background, he's silhouetted on the side and then takes off. Like, yep. okay, yeah. oh yeah, no, that was, where's my apple pie? That was that was blatant. That yeah. was absolutely yeah. blatant. Yeah. Well, one thing is though, with the gangsters, I guess it's kind of a trope, but it's actually kind of rooted in. There's a certain history there because. Um, the the gangsters, you know, usually Italian uh, back in that era had uh, they didn't like uh, fascism because of what um, was it Mussolini, Mussolini? Yeah. yeah did yeah. to the uh, Sicilian families over there, and then uh, you know some of the the Jewish uh, members of the mob didn't like Hitler because of what he was doing there. So that was it, it seemed a little corny, but it was in, uh, it's plausible that when they found out that there was Nazis there who just materialized out of nowhere, but we won't yeah. get into that. What's up with that? The German army showed up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Right. That was that was kind of that was the one scene in the movie. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> that they pushed it a little far on that one. I won't say they pushed yep. it too far, but that went right up to the edge. You know something that that they did that's kind of uh, revisionist. And that a lot of people don't even question them. They think that's the way it was. Is the whole thing about, well, everybody hates the Nazis. Not in 1938 they didn't. You know, Hitler was Time's Man of the Year in 1936. There were a lot. Well, you had those huge uh, American Nazi Party rallies going on back then. Yep. Like, before... before you were not in the war at that point. Yeah, you weren't... Uh, well, before the war started... So, like, from mid-1939 prior, there was a lot of pro-Nazi sympathy in the United States. Well, there were yeah. certainly a lot of Germans in the United States. I mean... Yeah. Well, I, I should... That, that's wrong of me to just say the United States. I know that for a fact there was a lot of pro-Nazi uh, sympathies in Canada, too. Like, I, I remember my grandmother talking about... Like, I remember uh, when I was a kid talking to her about the Holocaust and how awful it was, and she said... And you think, oh, Toronto's such a nice place and you know, all this. But she said, she goes, there used to be signs on the beaches in Toronto, this is pre-World War II, that said no dogs or Jews. Like she said, it wasn't just Germany. Everybody was anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah. And it, it, but over time, we've kind of whitewashed into that, that into the whole, oh, those Germans were so bad. Like, you know. Scapegoat it, type thing. Yeah. It, the turn of the 20th century, that was not a fun time to be Jewish, really, anywhere in the world. <laughs> well, and even after the war started, um, if you happen to be German, uh, 
uh, you know, or had a German sounding name, you were kind of looked at and wondered if you were, you know, a sympathizer or something like that. And, um, and I'm, I'm half German and I, even growing up, I never really cared too much for my ancestry. I would always kind of call myself Irish uh, on the McPeak side there because I just didn't like associating with what, you know, the Nazis did to Germany at that time. And those things linger for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got German heritage, too, and I will argue that I have no heritage because being German, it was stripped from you in World War II. You had you, you cut ties totally, you know. Family, any ancient history died at that point. We were born in 1819, whenever they came over. The family started then. There was no family prior to that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, interesting, interesting events. <laughs> yep. Fun and games, but not a lot of technology. <laughs> no, 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 not a lot. <laughs> not a lot whatsoever. Uh, well, I guess uh, what technology would you? <laughs> the only technology is the rocket pack. The but rocket uh, pack. what? What from the movie would you guys take? Yep, the, the pies at the at the cafe. Oh my! <laughs> I oh. want his motorcycle. <laughs> no, I don't. I saw the way that thing was built. You can have that one. Oh, can you imagine what that'd be worth today? Oh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a 1929 Harley Davidson JDH twin cam. Yeah, Kickstarter. <laughs> Carburetor. I've, I've always wanted a bike with a Kickstarter. Yeah, no, uh-uh, I like my shins. <laughs> Backfires and you get thrown over the handlebars. Yeah, no, uh-uh. I'm spoiled. I admit it. But yeah, that's other than that. Um, gosh. Well, if it wasn't for my, you know, kind of not necessarily fear of flying, just apprehension of flying, the rocket pack could be interesting. It's just a slight hurdle to get over, though. But uh, it, and guarantees a quick death. Sure. <laughs> well, at least you know why not. Most likely painless. Right. <laughs> Unless you're incinerating like the Nazi at the end. Right. Yeah. Well, it'd still be quick. <laughs> Quick, quick, but very painful. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, anyway. Well, that wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at scifitechtalk.com, where there's some cool space junk available, uh, or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have ideas or comments, please send them to sci-fi tech talk at gmail.com, and reviews on iTunes are always welcome, which we got a review on the Canadian iTunes site. Woo-hoo. I don't, I don't have it up, but we looked at it after uh, the last time we recorded, and I think it said, great show. So, yeah, I was going to say, it was two words, I remember that. <laughs> it, was, it was brief, but it was good to, ha- good to see it. It there. was a good review. You can do good was, reviews in two words. That's very true. Come on, the so, rest of you, step up. <laughs> okay, Mike, where can people find you? Yeah, I can be found on Twitter at DSC Chipman, and I have my about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. And if you want to hear me talk about some other uh, more geeky stuff, uh, you can find me on Geekiest Show Ever at geekiestshowever.com. And Julie, where can people find you? Huddled in a corner with a blanket. Um, but <laughs> I can be reached on Twitter at Julie Keel, J U L I E K U E H. L, and links to the other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I've got going on can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. Okay, and people can find me on Twitter at Bronco Sire. That's S-Y-E-R. That's it for this show. We'll see you in the future. It's the sci-fi tech talk.